Well, what's good, church? Hopefully, you are doing well. We're going to be starting a brand new series today called Winning with Emotions. And emotions are something that you and I have. You have them, I have them. We've been on the receiving end of them. But our emotions, I'm not sure if you knew this, but they come from God. They come from God. You and I have been created in His likeness and His image. And emotions are part of that. He designed emotions to work in us in a certain way according to His design. Sin has gotten in the way. Sin has corrupted us, has corrupted our emotions. And you and I are responsible when we are out of rhythm with His design. Emotions provide you and I a way to worship God and also win with people. And that's what we're going to be seeing over the next three weeks. So as God became flesh, Jesus, emotions were at play. Those who lived and interacted with Jesus saw how God in the human body handled emotions. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but these are the things that I'm learning. Now, I took some counseling classes in seminary and also in college. And these are the things that I'm learning from soul shepherding. They believe that Jesus handled a full range of human emotions perfectly. They mentioned that Jesus experienced 11 core emotions. Anxiety, anger, shame, sadness, pain, surprise, hope, faith, love, happiness, and peace. Now, whoever wrote the letter of the Hebrews, it was a New Testament letter written to Jews who became Christians, it, the, the writer points out that Jesus is our high priest who empathizes with us as he was tempted in all the ways, including emotions, yet without sin. He handled emotions perfectly. So let's lean in to see what he has to say. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So this is another, this is another title for Jesus, that he was the great high priest. And for a Jew, they would have understood this, that it, the high priest was the one who went into the place where God's glory was in the tabernacle or the temple. And he did so once a year on behalf of God's people. So he would enter, offer a sacrifice that would cover the sins of the people for a year. So basically the high priest interceded on the people's behalf. The high priest also was different from every other priest and everyone else. He was unique. He was different. He looked different. He dressed different. With Jesus' death and resurrection, this is so important, he is the last and the great high priest because Jesus did something that that none of the high priests could do. He was the sacrifice. Jesus interceded on our behalf with God so that you and I could receive forgiveness of our sins. Paul, who most likely wrote Hebrews, but also wrote in Romans that Jesus continues to intercede on our behalf as the great high priest so the author of hebrews continues for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin every way means every way including our emotions listen jesus is able to relate to you and i in so many ways because he's been there he's been there at a death of a loved one He's been there paying taxes. He's been there when people disappointed him and when he disappointed people. 
He was there when he was betrayed. He was celebrating at weddings. He was eating great food at dinner with his family and his friends. He's been in crowds. And he did all of that in rhythm with God's design. And so with that being said, let us then, because of Jesus, our great high priest, perfectly handling emotions regardless of whatever situation he was in, empathizes with you and me, understands what you and I are facing. And because of that, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. You and I can approach God with confidence because of all that Jesus has done so that we may receive mercy, kindness, compassion, and find grace, favor, or a gift that you didn't earn or deserve to help us in our time of need. And our times of need may be different from each other. For you, your time of need might be financial. For your time of need, it might be that you're going through a separation. Maybe for you, it's becoming a new parent. For you, it's dealing with a teenager. And it's like, God, I need help. Maybe for you, it's struggling with a friend. Maybe for you, it's starting a new career, a new job. So you and I, There are going to be moments in our life where we need compassion and we need grace. And the way that we can go and receive that is because God made a way through Jesus. And we're receiving what we need to be in rhythm with God's design, with our emotions and our actions. And so this week, we're going to look at uncontrolled anger and how it can lead to destructive behavior that damages relationships beyond repair. So if anger as an emotion is from God, then why are we warned to stay away from it? So a couple questions. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? Is it when things aren't going your way? Is it when you're trying to get somewhere and you're hitting all the red lights? Is it when you don't have enough money? Is it when you're not being respected? So let's pivot a little bit. Who makes you angry? Is it someone trying to talk to you while you're eating at work? Politicians? Yeah, people who abuse their authority, their power, maybe hypocrites? How about critics? Being criticized in front of others makes you angry. Maybe when someone bullies someone else on social media, that makes you angry. Or maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a teenager, maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's a family member. And then leads us to this question. How often are you angry? How often are you angry? And I think we know this to be true, that the longer we're angry, the more health problems you and I face, whether ulcers or high cholesterol or depression. I found this interesting, what Charles Stanley wrote. When anger is suppressed, the body continues to produce adrenaline in small quantities to address the perceived danger that the mind and the heart indicate is present. He writes, over time, this drip, drip, drip of adrenaline and other hormones within the human body is extremely detrimental. It produces a state of eternal stress. A little like trying to drive with one foot on the gas and the other on the brake. The long-term effects include ulcers, heart ailments, strokes, arthritis, and depression. Every system and organ in the body is affected in a negative way. We believe this, I believe this to be true, and I think you do too, that anger affects our sleep. Not allowing it 
to receive proper rest. Like, like, did you know that while we sleep, our body replaces old cells with new ones and it renews our mind? Just the way that God designed. Now, if we go to bed angry, our body is not working as the way that God has designed it to work. And the more angry you and I are, the less people want to be around us. So I want to share a story, and hopefully this puts sort of things in perspective, because even as a professional Christian, I get it wrong. And I got it wrong big time in 2008 and 2009. Now, some of you here last week when I shared the story of me getting a letter uh, from a church member that did not like the change that I was bringing, even though it was requested. And so uh, I was basically given a letter, in case you weren't here last week or didn't hear this, that basically I was better off dead. And you're probably thinking, it's probably not a great time to start a family. Probably not. But Jenny and I, we wanted to start a family. We didn't know that was going to happen um, before we made the decision to start a family. And so we we look at starting a family and nothing's working and so we find uh, a specialist down in Pittsburgh which ended up being one of the the best specialists in Pittsburgh and so we went down to see him and as we were meeting with him he was like listen I need to run a few tests before we put you on any type of IVF treatment or anything like that and he said so what I want you to do is I said I want you to go to a local hospital and they'll give you this like small jar and they'll put it in some type of wrapper so no one knows what it is um, of your product. And I was like, okay, and some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, okay, no big deal. So we get home and I go to the hospital. I'm like, listen, uh, Dr. So-and-so sent me up here and um, I'm supposed to get like this small jar to put some of my product in and and I think something discreet to put it in. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, no worries. And so a few minutes pass by and we'll make this up. I get a very small jar. And they give me a large paper bag that you find at the grocery store. And I did a double take and I was like, you want me to put that in that? And they're like, yeah, this is the only thing we have. And as any good husband does, I took it. So I walk outside and he's like, what is that? I'm like, ah, well, um, I'm supposed to return this in this big paper bag. So when I go back and return this and I'd be humiliated, right? I'm embarrassed that I have this small jar and everyone in, the, everyone in the hospital knows what I'm doing by bringing this in. Man, I left that day so humiliated, so embarrassed. I remember driving back to the office and saying, God, why the blankety blank is this happening to us? We did everything the right way. We waited until we got married. Like, we're here because we believe you want us to be here. You could have stopped it, but, but you allowed it to happen. Like, God, we've done everything. We don't deserve this. I'm embarrassed to say that. But I was so angry that I cursed God. I say all of that to say this, is we've all been angry. We've all handled anger one way or another. And if I was a betting man, I'd bet that all of us have handled anger outside of the way that God has designed it to be handled. This does mean that we can be angry and be within God's design on how to handle the emotion. Paul, a church planner who dealt with church people and Jewish leaders who actually wanted him dead because they believed that he turned his back on the Jewish faith, wrote this. 
He said, in your anger, do not sin. And he's quoting Psalm 4.4. And then he provides some commentary on it. He said, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. It's not a sin to be angry. It's, it's not a sin to experience anger. Yet when it is not handled well, it quickly leads to sinful, destructive behavior. And what you and I don't want to do is provide the enemy, the devil, an opportunity, room, or access to influence us to use that emotion to destroy relationships. Whether a marriage or a friendship, your relationship with your student, your teenager, your child, a working relationship, and our influence as a follower of Jesus. Like, I don't believe that any of us in the room who are followers of Jesus can be possessed by any type of demon or the devil. However, we can be influenced. And when you and I are not having our emotions in check, man, we are easily influenced by the enemy. And so we're going to look at a situation where Jesus was angry, but he didn't sin. So Jesus is entering Jerusalem before Passover, which is the holiday that Jews celebrated by being delivered from Egypt under Moses' leadership. In the first century... If humanly possible, every Jew from the Roman Empire would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so, from what we understand from the historian Josephus, 250,000 plus people would have been in Jerusalem. So keep in mind that this is just four to five days before Jesus is put on a political trial in the darkness of night and and executed for the claim of being equal with God. Now, looking back, we know that Jesus sacrificed his life for the sins of humanity so that you and I could be forgiven. Now, in the city, very close to the temple, were money changers and those selling sacrificial animals. So, Jewish law required a temple tax of a half shekel. That was Hebrew currency. So, with it being Passover and thousands of people coming in all over the Roman Empire, This is a great place for money changers because they did not accept currency with images of an emperor. They only took Hebrew currency. So this is where money changers came in. They exchanged that money for Jewish money. And they did so with a large fee. They were taking advantage of people. Same thing happened with the the people selling animals for the sacrifices. They took advantage of people by price gouging. According to Jewish law, two doves or pigeons were required to be offered in sacrifice for their sins. While traveling days to get to Jerusalem, it was difficult to bring five kids, let alone doves and pigeons. And then you had the temple, right? God's house. It was being disrespected by people hurting other people instead of being a house of prayer and honor. And these people were filled with greed, and they misused the temple. Notice what Jesus did. He entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He says, it is written. So he's quoting two scriptures, Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of of robbers. Like, let's see how you and I would do when we're angry and we're quoting scripture. Like, this isn't a daily thing for Jesus, going in and overturning tables and homes and in bars 
because he had a bad day. It's like, oh, man, Peter put his foot in his mouth again. Ah, oh, that healing did not go as planned. Ah, oh, Judas is just being Judas. Thomas is doubting again. And he's just going in homes and turning over tables. Not normal, right? When you think of Jesus, what do you think of? He's known for his love, not his anger. Jesus is known for touching lepers, eating with tax collectors, and forgiving sinners. Jesus is not well known for flipping tables. I mean, he did it twice. One to begin his ministry and one a week before his death. So there's a couple things to notice in Matthew's account of Jesus flipping tables. One, Jesus was angry at injustice. When travelers were being gouged for following the law, it wasn't right. Jesus was angry when others were being mistreated and dishonored. And obviously, man, he had a different take on how people should be treated than money changers and animal sellers. So the question is, like, where were the local rabbis? Where were the, the temple leaders? Where were they stopping this corruption? Jesus was willing to do something they were not willing to do. So Jesus was angry at injustice. Jesus was also, he flipped tables, not people, in anger. Jesus didn't flip off. He didn't punch, kick, curse, or just take their life at the snap of his finger. The tables were part of the system that was dishonoring people, and he was making a stand against a corrupt system that was bad for people. And there are things that you and I should be angry about. We ought to be angry with, with porn. We ought to be angry against any ism, whether racism or anti-racism or communism. We should be angry with mental illness. We ought to be upset that not everyone has access to clean drinking water. We ought to be angry about human trafficking and abortion. And in response, we ought to fight for marriages. We ought to fight against any system that elevates anything other than character. We ought to fight for mental health well-being. We ought to be fighting for clean water in underdeveloped countries. We ought to be fighting for protecting girls and boys from exploitation. We ought to be fighting for the unborn. And in most everyday cases, you and I, we can flip tables without flipping people. And in some extreme cases involving military and law enforcement, man, offenders are going to be flipped along with their tables. So not only did Jesus... Was he angry at injustice? Not only did he flip tables and not people in anger, but Jesus was angry and he was still approachable. I find this the most fascinating one. It's clear that Jesus didn't wake up that morning and be like, you know what, I'm going to flip some tables. He's, he's not looking for tables to flip. He was angry when this all go down and he did something about it. He also knew when to stop. He controlled the emotion instead of the emotion controlling him. And how often are we approachable when we're angry? How often do people feel like it's walking on eggshells around us? Because notice this. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. That's amazing to me. And probably because I haven't seen that play out in real life. Like, I've heard people say, well, don't talk to mom right now. Don't, don't talk to her. She's drinking her mommy juice on the front porch. Man, give dad some space until he cools down. He had a really, really bad day. Hey, don't go to the boss's office for a few days. He is steaming. 
Like, think about this. Jesus flips a table. Like, it, like it's a scene made, right? Everyone sees it being made. People are rubbernecking. And then it's like the blind and the lame are like, oh, it's time to get healed. It, it, I find this super fascinating. Without anger getting in the way of his mission, Jesus healed them. Jesus didn't miss out on an opportunity to do something to help those who were in need because he was angry. He wasn't just mad, tweeting some one-liners about it, moved along. His anger did not cloud his judgment and purpose. He was angry, and he still healed people. We can be angry and still share hope. This week, we looked at how uncontrolled anger can lead to destructive behavior that damages relationships beyond repair. Remember our question, if anger as an emotion is from God, then why are we warned to stay away from it? We're warned because without the Holy Spirit providing us discipline to control our anger, our anger would control us. It's up to us to slow it down. We've got to be slow to get angry by submitting to the Holy Spirit. I love what James, Jesus' brother, writes. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Like, imagine being angry and being approachable. Like, you could be angry and your kid still approaches you. Imagine being angry and flipping systems instead of flipping people. Moving forward, it seems that you and I need to start recognizing that as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit provides you and I what we need to slow to become angry and not give in to sin. What you and I don't want to do is provide room, opportunity for the devil, our enemy, to influence us. To use that emotion to destroy relationships. To cut down our spouse. To hurt our kids. Ruin our career. So, as you think about this, a couple of things I want us to think through. Why is quoting scripture while angry helpful? And then how can you and I be angry and still be approachable? So those are some things to think about this week. And we'll be picking this back up next week with winning with emotions. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. This is something we all deal with. This is something we all fight with. This is something we all struggle with, and it's emotions. And Father, when it comes to anger, help us to be very quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Help us to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Help us to have people in our lives to help us understand, hey, that's triggering you. You need to stop. You need to call a timeout. So help us to have people in our lives that will hold us accountable. Father, I pray that we are a room full of people who get angry and we fight for the right things. That we're flipping tables and not people. That we're angry and we're approachable. That we're angry and we're quoting scripture. Father, help us to be a room full of people that are harnessing anger in a healthy way. Father, forgive us for going outside of your design with anger. 
We're incredibly thankful for Jesus' example. In Jesus' name, amen.